we're on the boulevard. Vroom, vroom. Here we are. And as I said in our other podcast, uh, here we are at the, the halfway point of the entire year. This this crazy, shitty, scary, suckwad year. So at this point, have we spent more time in quarantine than we have in regular life? We have. Yeah. Really? Yeah, we're six months into the year, and it's like three and a half months at least in quarantine. Wow. So, so yeah. That's kind of crazy. <sighs> yeah, it's the new normal, indeed. The new so, abnormal. So, yeah, hey. What hey. are we, what are we talking about today? Well, we've got some, I think, TV things to talk about. And I was just going to throw some actual sort of general culture questions out and see uh, what you had to say and hope that could actually open up a conversation with our listeners. Okay. All right. You kick it off. Tell me where we're going. Okay. All right. Start with the small screen. Um, I, a couple weeks ago, finished watching the series Vita, which is on Stars or was on Stars. It finished its three season run. And without it ever being a great show, I think my final answer is um, it was almost satisfying. I'm glad I watched it. It was never, it was never great, but it did something that other TV shows just didn't do, which is sort of is sort of provide a look at a subculture that we don't see. So I give I give the show um, and its showrunner Tanya Saracho a lot of credit. And having said all that, is that a show you've even heard of? I have no idea what this is. So tell me what this is. Sure, it's set in uh, the Boyle Heights neighborhood of L.A., um, and it's about uh, the Latinx community. Um, and most, but not all, of the characters on the show uh, are either gay or bi, and many of them are trans and are played by uh, trans performers. So it's definitely a, um, a very specific look at a specific subculture. Okay, cool. So, and how many episodes did it get? Twenty something. So it was, it was, I think, six episodes, and then ten, and then six again in its third season. Okay. Uh, I guess, I guess they kind of threw them a bone. Um, for, right off the bat, right from the very beginning, you know, critics went ape for it. I think for a lot of the, the reasons I mentioned. Um, but Stars is weird about the shows it gets behind and and promotes or or under-promotes. Um, I feel like they under-promote so, everything. I feel like they do ex- to everything except Outlander. Outlander's on Stars. Oh, that's right. I always forget Outlander's on Stars. <laughs> like, Stars just, just feels like... prove our point, yeah. I know. Stars just kind of always felt like... It feels like such an also-rand. And then, and then all of a sudden yeah. you're like, wait, Outlander. And you're like, oh, yeah. That's, that's pretty much how it is, yeah. Okay. Because like even um, at least like Cinemax was Skinemax, and so it had it had it had some identity. Stars is just kind of like eh, stars. Yeah, it was so. Yeah, HBO and Cinemax were the same company, and HBO was the prestige stuff, and then Skin, Cinemax was like the porny stuff. Yeah. But at least you knew where you stood. Yeah. And you knew that they were sibling networks, so it was all good, right? Um, yeah, and then Showtime has established itself with things like Dexter and Homeland. Um, and Shameless. Stars kind of like has content for the sake of having content, but 
and I have to admit I've not watched all of it, but few of them really rise into the conversation. But they get you, better by their shows. But okay, so you enjoy, so I don't. I guess I'm not. You enjoyed this. You didn't enjoy this. Like it's both. Oh yeah. So I, I give them a lot of credit. I give them a lot of props for doing the show. It portrays a, a population that doesn't get a lot of attention, and it's to be given credit for that. But I was amazed at how lazy and poor I found the plotting to be, <laughs> and how not good some of the performers were. Oh, really? Um, okay. So that, I mean, you know, there's the rub. There is my problem with the show. I feel like they took the entire first season um, to basically just set up where they were. Our focal point are two sisters who both return home after the death of their mother, who they learn was one sister is um, straight and one sister is identifies as a lesbian, but is pretty much on just on the, the bi spectrum. Um, we'll watch her have sex with men and women over the course of the series. Um, but they come home, they find out their mother was gay. Their mother was actually involved with a woman who is a character on the show. Um, so it's a lot of getting the, of the kids coming back home, like, and, and, reestablishing their relationship with each other after a parent has died. Um, and then it's, oh, they learn more about their dead parent as they're trying to, um, uh, what's, what's the word that I, that I'm looking for? Um, they're trying to open up a bar that, that was like the mother's dream. Um, and so it talks, the show talks a lot about politics about sexual politics, about gender identity, about sexual identity. It's a really sexually graphic show. It opens, I think, every scene. I think it's its calling card is to have some sort of really graphic sex scene between some couple or some pair. Um, it does a lot of edgy things, but it doesn't really advance the story along. So the first season is basically the equivalent just of a pilot episode. Right. And then the second season throws a few new characters into the mix, and we know really understand why they're there. Are they moving story along? Are they telling us more about character? We don't even get some of that through the end of season two, let alone even through the end of season three, which is the whole series. And I'm, I'm guessing that maybe they didn't know that the third season would be its last because there isn't a lot of closure by the end. But my thing is there also isn't a lot of opening of the course of the beginning. <laughs> like, you know, I'm treating it with kid gloves because I, I, I get that it is kind of what we call a first generation show and therefore it is important. But objectively speaking, there is a lot of, of lazy storytelling going on over the course of 26 episodes or however, 13, 14, 15 hours of storytelling. There's a lot that could have been done better. I mean, I, it's, it's it's a show that's great for representation, but not so great for presentation of storytelling. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, it's funny because I'm looking at the um at their IMDb page and like the the graphic that they're using to sort of like you know sell the show uh, for the final season. Like it looks like the the costumes of I guess the two main characters and where they are and the way they're sitting. It looks like a an Isabella Allende um, 
I, I'm probably, I hope I didn't butcher her, her name, uh, I, I end, yeah. I end a, uh, adaptation, you know, with the, like what, what they're wearing and like, it looks like a period piece. I would have never, like, I'm caught. Cause when you, I was like, Oh, is this a period? But apparently no, it's, it sounds like a modern day. It's contemporary. Um, yeah. A contemporary piece. And so it's, so it's sort of jarring to see how, you know, this sort of marketing image and that it's actually not this thing that you think it is. Yeah, I, but I do think if you'd watched even just a few minutes into the first episode, you would not be lost. You'd be pretty well oriented that this is a show that takes place in the here and now. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not I'm not I'm not denying that. But, uh, you know, I'm not questioning that. But what I'm saying is, you know, the marketing doesn't match what what the actual show is. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that like, can also yeah, be problematic, you know, yeah. where you don't where where it's not, you know, it's not going to reach an audience, uh, you know, because. I mean, for me, I would have what because I love that sort of like magical realism stuff, you know, that like I, I really enjoy those stories. Um, what the hell was the one that in the that they made that Jeremy Irons was in of, of, House, uh, of the Spirits. House of the Spirits? Oh, my God. Yeah. Love that book. Love that adaptation. Yeah, you know, and so I would have been like, oh, my God, that looks like I would be all over this. And then it's like, oh, no, but that's not what it is. I'd be pissed. <laughs> sure. <laughs> my expectations were here and what I ended up getting was something completely different. Yeah, and, and I'm not even sure that it was about misrepresentation there as much as like, I just don't know who knew about it. Right. I mean, I certainly had no idea this, this show existed. Yeah. No clue. Leave it, leave it to me. But, but I mean, let, I mean, to be fair, right. To be fair, I find it so hard now to know anything about anything do you know what i mean like particularly because, when it comes to you, because there is just so much stuff yeah. and so many places where you can get the information and you like you don't know where to like it's like you can't i can't look anymore it's just too much it's yeah too it, much. Is, it is completely overwhelming no you know it's there. supremely overwhelming and you know i have to say after i got furloughed like I am like not on top of anything anymore. Like I am just like, if I'm looking at the New York times, you know, I'm looking at the New York times and I'm looking at their news. I'm looking at the front page. I'm looking at the national stories. I'm looking at the international stories. I am nowhere near the art section because there's, there's just so much to digest from everything in the world. And it's just, and, and I don't know, like, I feel like, oh my God, you are part of the problem. But, you know, I, I, it doesn't bode well, um, in terms of like arts and entertainment coverage because I can't be the only one that, that is sort of like has this kind of media fatigue. Yeah. Oh no, I, you're not alone for sure. I think like there's no way to do a full survey of the entertainment world anymore. I think what everyone now is doing is only focusing on their niche. Which, I mean, in one way, I guess is kind of good. Like, I, I just, you know, I recalled, like, a number of years ago, back when, like, Brad Pitt was doing Troy, and, you know, he and Jennifer Aniston had just gotten married, and, you know, it was, like, this very big, like, I mean, he's always a very big deal, but at that point, he was sort of, like, inescapable, and I remember when Troy was coming out, and there were, I mean, probably, like, six glossy magazines with him on the cover. Oh, it, probably any given you know, time, yeah. You know, it was like Esquire, Detail, like, you know, you had the men's magazine, and then they were also throwing him on, like, W, or, like, 
you know, all of these other magazines and, and I, and you just go, and it was the same, basically like rehashing the same questions because the journalists never ask really anything very interesting. Is it their fault? Is it parameters from a publicist? Who the hell knows? But it was basically like the same story in six different magazines. And it was very, and that was boring, you know, but now I just feel like, I don't know. I had a point there and it's just gone. It's late. Yeah. I'm tired. And I had a hard day. <laughs> this is how overwhelmed you are by the, by the <laughs> surplus of everything. Yeah. But I guess at least I knew Troy was coming out. <laughs> yeah. So in the end they did their job. Yeah. In the end they, they did what it was supposed to do. And I mean, does that still happen though? Like again, I'm not even like, well, who can see a glossy? No, I, anymore, feel like, right? I, I feel like I'm, the whole point of showbiz used to be anticipation. And and now it's like you never know where about anything, and all of a sudden it just drops, and it's it makes a huge ripple effect very quickly to be replaced by the next thing. Like for example, and this may be something I watch and we talk about later on. I just found out a couple of days ago Netflix is dropping a new version of Unsolved Mysteries tomorrow, but I had no Wait, idea. Wait, what? That. Yeah, true story. <laughs> well, good. I'm on it. I'm like. Can you believe it? I'm out of shit to watch. I mean, I'm not out of shit to watch. There's still so much shit to watch, but nothing is like grabbing me. Okay. Yeah. You know what? I was, I said, we, I, we were going to talk about, I said, oh, I can talk about this thing, but then I wasn't sure if I wanted to talk about it. And then, but I guess this kind of segues into this. So you're going to um, talk about the thing. Uh, October Faction. Tell me, talk to me. Okay. So this is a show on Netflix, Netflix show, Netflix series that we watched. I watched the whole thing. Um, and this is sort of like, I don't know, speaking to the slim pickings out, that I feel like is out there. So it's about this like clandestine monster hunting agency that's part of like, it's like, you know, part of the government, but it's like this big secret. And so this couple um, is involved, they're, they're agents for, for this group. Um, the guy, the husband's father, I think was like instrumental in starting this agency. He lives in this big in this big old creaky stone stone mansion in a place called Barrington on Hudson, which is hilarious because it's mm -hmm. like a cross between Great Barrington, Massachusetts and Hudson, New York. Um, and so it kind of like digs up like dark family secrets and, you know, secrets about this small town and, you know, and with the parents off fighting these monsters and trying to keep the kids from it. And then the kids get drawn in and it's, you know, and, and we find out things about the kids that, you know, and, and basically by the end of it, you start questioning like, who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? What the hell is going on here? Are monsters really the bad guys? You know, it's like mm. one of those shows. Right. And so it's like, it's a little horror. It's a little science fiction. It's got Karen written all over it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, so, and it was not bad. Like, it was good. It was good enough for us to say, well, let's keep watching it until the end, right? You know, we'll, we'll keep watching the season. But it kind of felt like... I, you know, I'm going to say this thing, and I'm going to piss off every Canadian out there that listens to our podcast... But do you know when you like watch Canadian TV versus American TV and you just know the Canadian TV is just not as good? <gasps> Sorry. Well, I'll and piss I don't the mean... Canadians off too. 
because we say this all the time. Okay, and I don't mean like the shows that are like filmed in Canada or Vancouver, like Supernatural and Winona Earp and all of those. Like, I mean, like the CTV, Canadian TV broadcasting, where you're just like, wow, that's really like, you know, good idea, bad execution. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's just something hollow about it. Flat yeah, it. that's kind of like where I feel like like the monsters are like straight out of Charmed in this seat. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, you're just, and I'm just like watching these sort of monsters and like those vampire things, and I think about how you know, how far special effects have come and then to have these like monsters that basically look like they're wearing their ghoul suits and you're just kind yeah, of like yeah. laughing at them, you know, uh, oh, I bought it at, the, what are those stupid pop-up um, Halloween stores called? Yeah, but yeah, well, we'll just call them a stupid Halloween pop-up store. Like mm-hmm. that, like, it's like, that's where they got the costumes, you know, and it's like, and it's not to say the stories weren't good and the actors were actually quite good and it was, it was interesting, but then there was just, there were just these like little things where I was like, this could have been so much better if, right? Like if they did, if they put a little bit more into it, if they um, had upped the the special effects budget, if they, you know, there were just a lot of this could have been better if. So not a ringing endorsement. Not a ringing. I mean, look. Did you, you had, watch it all the way through? I, I know because I, I think it's only had the one season. Yeah, I watched it all the way through for the one season. Um, you know, I, I might go back to it. I, I, I don't know. Did we talk about lock and key? We did. And I had a similar feeling when I watched that. Okay. See now I loved lock and key and I did not have that similar feeling, but I guess I, I guess that this would have been my, you know, my lock and key would have been October. I mean, I'll probably keep watching it. Like I said, I, I liked the main characters. I felt kind of invested with them. It was like this brother and sister who were twins, um, and didn't quite fit in with the family, but they were still really tight. And like, he was gay and he like helps like out a kid at school who's like struggling. And like, it was just like these lovely moments, um, that they had particularly with the kids and that sort of, and those sort of like dealing with the teen angsty stuff. I felt like they did that really well. The relationship stuff they did really, really well. But, um, but then when you got into the sci-fi slash monsters, it just started to feel like, sorry, Canada, Canadian television. Ew. We love you. We're just calling it like it is. I want to live in Canada, but I, your t- your TV's not great. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I keep looking at houses in Nova Scotia. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> Ready to run, kids. I I well I know that feeling. So I can go anywhere. <laughs> I go to Vancouver personally. I know. Well, I just like love Nova Scotia is so craggy and gothic and like yeah. of course that's where I belong. <laughs> and I've been following this um Instagram page. It's like cheap houses under fifty thousand or something like that on Instagram. It is if you're like me and love looking at dilapidated old houses, this is totally like my jam. Like I like go in there and it's like all of these houses that are like literally falling down, like it's like they are tinder boxes and they're like you know like if you look on the inside like shit's like fallen from the ceiling and like everything is coming up and and there's all mold everywhere i love looking at these houses (laughs) but they're and they're in the middle of like no place you'd want to live um and but you can buy a whole house for like you know fifteen thousand (laughs) dollars but they've been showing they've been showing some of them in in nova scotia and i'm like oh that looks so nice (laughs) 
<laughs> and the price is right. You just have to bring your Definitely. imagination. But I'd rather live in Nova Scotia than like here. <laughs> well, no, no, but I mean, there are some places in like this town. There are a lot in upstate New York, and like upstate New York, like way upstate. Like we're talking like like Buffalo, yeah. and like and and that's even far from Buffalo. Like like middle of nowhere in New York, and I'm just like, yeah, no, I'm not gonna live there. But I will live in Nova Scotia in that broken down, nasty house. Yeah. So anyway, special thing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Well, yeah. Have any of you run out of shows to watch? Or are you, as you continue to stay at home, hopefully healthily, um, have you run out of options? Have you loved everything you have watched? Let us know. Yeah, you Do you know, find I it overwhelming? I have to say, like we sit there and there are so many things that we're like, yeah, we haven't watched it. But there's nothing I want to watch. Like, I'm like, yeah, no, not that. Yeah, yeah no, we have that to a degree. Are, are you uh, I mean, that's, that? that's why we turn more to either, like, the Chopped and Food Network things or, or some of, like, the reality and Housewives things that we've discussed on previous episodes. We, you know, we can sit through those at a larger volume than some of, like, the higher shelf, like, fiction narrative stuff. Yeah, you know what we've been cycling through a lot this week um, are the gourmet makes. Oh, nice. Yeah. The gourmet YouTube videos. I that that's sort of where, um, you know, where we've ended up because yeah, it just feels like, I don't know, just anything else just feels like such a commitment that I just don't want to make right now. Yeah, I think we're all getting a little lethargic about certain things, and it's like, it's just we're. Where do you draw the energy and the focus from to watch some of these things? And, like, I'm super bummed out because, like, a lot of the shows that I was looking forward to, I don't think they're going to be coming back because of COVID. You know, like, the sort of, like, summer, late summer into early fall shows, like... I, I can't imagine that... I mean, uh, yeah, our conversation starts with Succession. I I can't imagine shows that we anticipated coming back in August or the fall... I just think they won't happen until January at the earliest. Yeah, like no succession. No, I don't think the Mayans, um, I don't know if they finish filming, um, you know, because they they usually come up sometime in the summer. I, you know, it's just there There were just so many shows that I was looking forward to con- have, you know, continuing. Um, and I don't know if they will now because obviously COVID or I mean, I guess that they will. They but, will continue, um, but who knows when. Them. And then the other thing that I was wondering, does this mean now we're going to have a glut of shows and there are going to be no shows coming up because they have a lot of shows still that need to be made and aired? Do you know what I mean? Not like, does quite. this mean we might not get any new shows because because everything is in a holding pattern? I don't right? know. I mean, I, I, I think that the powers that be will try and space things out in such that, like, certain things return when they can return and then other things return much further out and interspersed with those are some of the other newer things. But I'm looking okay. at things within like an 18 to 24 month kind of schedule. And do you think things will just not return? Like if you think about a show like Succession, right? Um, I mean, obviously there's no filming of anything that's been going on um, for that matter. But, you know, I know like Brian Cox works a lot and you know 
he might be booked when they're ready to go back into it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm just wondering, are there things that are, that might not come back because actors I'm not worried about that. I, or... I just, I oh just no, I don't think Brian will not come back. Be, but, oh, um... I just figure it's going to be a longer wait, but I don't think any of them are not going to come back. But yeah, I do think that we have to be looking at 2021, 2022 to see some of these things. Just bums me out. I know. Because pretty soon we'll all be watching Canadian TV because there's nothing else left. Yeah, which, I mean, it's not terrible. It just, there's a different sense ability to it. Yeah, yeah. So, speaking of 2021, <laughs> Broadway had a bit of news today. Yeah, and, uh, an announcement that I don't know if it took that many people by surprise, but but saying at the very earliest Broadway shows will not open until the beginning of January, 2021, which at that point is already just about a 10 month pause. In it's the amazing. Season. Has this so, ever happened before? No, this had, no, this is unprecedented. Even during the Spanish flu, they didn't shut down Broadway. I'm not sure what was on Broadway then. I don't think everything was unionized then the way it all is now. Right. Um, I don't, you know, we can't look at that as modern theater. Um, well, no, but I'm just curious if we've had ever had a shutdown like this. That's sort of like what I'm getting at. Um, I just think it was like the wild, wild west then. I don't think there were uniform rules governing when shows. That, and I think a lot more was on the road than, than just in playing New York theaters, too. I No, I don't think there's any precedent for it. Amazing. It's it's frightening it's so and it's just sad because of the uh enormity of people without work yeah i'm raising my hand right here yeah raising my hand yeah so we're going to be out of work for a while um right because uh, so this we're, we're talking broadway but this probably means oh, yeah off broadway new york too. will follow suit and yeah. most regional theaters will follow suit and most tours will be following suit uh and it's all connected yeah. And I like I can't even believe that there I mean, I've been sort of again, like I'm not entirely sure because I've just feel like I've just given up on news. But like I've been trying to follow some some regional theaters, I guess, are talking about opening or trying to open or I don't yeah, know. And are trying bad. to do different things and maintain social practicing, uh, social uh, distancing practices. Yeah, and it just feels like absolute madness because it's just kind of like, uh, okay, you're going to have three people in the audience, maybe four. Like, what yeah. do we do? And are you going to be able to make enough? Are you charging more for tickets? Are you underpaying your, your company now? I don't know how it works. Yeah, I don't know how it works either. I mean, are you willing to take such a big, you know, such a big loss, you know, that you would, yeah. you know, um, just just to be open? I mean, I don't I don't know. I don't know. And who's going to go? That's our question. I mean, we don't feel comfortable going. Who's going to yeah. go? You know, I mean, the, the the people that are running around that are saying there's no such thing as COVID are, like, not the ones who go to – it's not the, the theater audience anyway, yeah. you know. Um, so, like, who who is going to – who's going to go? I, 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 honestly, I, I honestly don't know. I do think that there are people who will go and that there are people who are going to bars and restaurants no matter what and not really caring. Not that they're not obeying things like wearing a mask and trying to social distance, but that they're not restricting themselves. From They're like, you know what? I was inside long enough and I just want to experience life again. And I think there are a number of those people and those are the people that 
may go to the theater, but I just can't believe that's more than a plurality of people. I don't know how that really fills whatever seats you have open. And I'm, and I just don't know what the rules are going to be. I mean, I don't want to sit at a two or two and a half hour show and wear a mask. I no. don't want to have to be separate from anyone that I would be going to see a show and sit with. I don't want to have to go and have my temperature taken anytime I see a show or a movie. I'd rather just keep staying home personally. So I don't, I don't know who wants to come in. Yeah. And now I know, um, locally, uh, heard, uh, one of our movie theaters is opening, I think this weekend. Um, and they're going to be running like old movies until July 31st, I guess when they anticipate they'll be getting like, you know, a sort of shipment of, of new releases. Um, and I have not, again, been pay- really been paying attention to how they're going to be opening or what that's going to look like. But um, I thought it was really surprising that, a mo- that movie theaters were starting to roll open. Yeah, AMC's announced that sometime in July they were going to reopen. Again, I'm not even sure to show what movies. Um, and, you know, and there was a bit of an outcry and... And I think they're still doing it, but remains to be seen who really needs to or wants to go to the movie theater. And I mean, I guess I was just kind of wondering, so the concern with Broadway is not necessarily, I mean, I don't like, I mean, I guess my, I could probably answer my own question if I dug into like how the movie theaters are handling it. Like, I guess for them with a 10, $15 ticket, social distancing in a movie theater is probably not as fiscally painful as right, uh, having right. to, you know, drop the number of seats in a Broadway or, or even off Broadway house. So it, so I don't know if it's a question of, I, I guess I'm sort of wondering, is it the question of economics? Cause I mean, I will say like the cost for the moot for them to get the movies or, you know, who, how how it's a little draconian in terms of like what little the um the actual movie theater gets from from screening you know new releases um but i get i guess i'm sort of like baffled is it the unions that are saying no performers you can't go on stage because of covid and and because we're dealing with live entertainers on stage it, it makes it more uh, you know more of a, more of an issue or is it the people in proximity or like, I guess I'm sort of like going, well, why are the movie theaters open when we really don't want to have like live I mean, I mean, I venues think open, you know? I think it's as much about money as it is about health and safety. Um, I think January is kind of a yardstick date because I just think, if you're talking about social distancing and theater is one of the most intimate things there are, you know, you have stagehands and actors and dressers, you know, all on top of each other. In addition to people in the audience and ushers all on top of each other, um, that sort of body crunch thing. But it's also, uh, I think, uh, a question of the price point is so high, not just for a show in New York, but particularly for a Broadway show. Um, I mean, people aren't traveling. No one can mm. count on tourism. No one can count on the bridge and tunnel crowd to, to even come in and take a train or whatever. You know, it's how many people can come and buy tickets to a show to make it cost effective, safety aside. Right, right. 
Oh, and what are you going to do then if you're having fewer people come to a show? Do you make the tickets even more expensive? Well, because I know like the live music venues and even and I'm not even talking about like the big venues. I'm talking about even the small venues are, are not opening and, and are concerned and struggling and, you know, and, and don't know when they're going to be reopening. Yeah. So I just thought it was really interesting that like we have all of these live venues that are remaining closed down, but yet movie theaters are starting to open up. Uh, yeah, because at least, uh, well, uh, I mean, the product, the service they're providing is not as expensive to mount, quote unquote. Um, but also there's, you're at least, you're at least eliminating half of the safety issue because you're not dealing with live people acting on top of each other in right. a small space. Right. Or performing, I should say. So, so, so yeah, I mean, my personal thing is like, I don't need to go anytime soon. I am lucky at least enough to have an apartment that I can live in safely and work from home in safely. Uh, and I have plenty of options that I pay a monthly fee for to watch on TV or on cable. So I'm, I'm good. Like, I don't feel deprived. I don't feel like I have to go because I'm not seeing shows. I'm not seeing live performance. I'm not seeing live music. I can sit and wait. That's my thing as the spectator, at least. Mm. I mean, do you miss it? I like I'm kind of like going, I don't know if I miss it. But again, like I'm coming I'm coming from another another place of like, you know, it's my job. Right. And like it's, when it's your job, you kind of are like, eh, you know. Um, yeah. And I come from it like a two pronged thing. One is as a fan, as a lifelong fan. And the other then is as someone who's made his avocation knowing about writing about being a critic in that world. And it, it's a longer story, but no, I don't miss it. Like, not even a little bit. Like, not even remotely. <laughs> but that's also because of what I have seen the scene turn into prior to the pandemic. And I will say this, and I invite anyone to respond to this, um... My problem with the theater scene is, like, it's the it's not so much the people in it as the people around it. It's the people that talk about what theater needs to be, like, on social media and, and in general, um, which has sort of replaced what the critical sphere used to be. So my problem, in a sense, isn't just theater, but it's theater people or people who claim theater as their own. That's what I'm not missing having to engage with, if that makes sense. I mean, can you unpack claim theater as their own for a minute? Like, what, yeah. is, what so does that mean? So anyone who says they're a fan on social media and, and really just wants to, like, chat with people that are in, like, a Broadway show on Instagram and then sort of hold them as, like, I'm friends with this person or my favorite people that I think should be in shows and should win all the awards are the ones that will message me back on Instagram, which are not necessarily the people that are getting the lead roles in Broadway shows and big off Broadway shows. Um, but are anyone like they could be chorus and ensemble people who have very active social media accounts and engage with people not just in New York, but around the country who are fans. Because that ends up creating a very noisy dialogue and everyone suddenly 
who is not in the world that should be influencing what theater is suddenly influences who is a success and who is not and who gets attention and who is therefore castable, that sort of thing. Mm. Like if we talk about a chorus line, that is a show about the people that are not well known outside of the theater. They are the dancers. They are the background. No one knows their names outside of the other dancers. That show could not work nowadays because nowadays they would all have an Instagram account. They'd all be taking selfies at the gym and of their meals and of their smoothies. And they would have millions of followers and they would be able to get represented differently. And people would know who they are differently. That sort of thing. I don't know. I guess that, I guess I have, I don't know. I feel like, I guess that sort of maybe bothers me less. Um, I mean, it's fandom, right? I, I mean, fandom is a it's, weird it's thing. A new, it's a new version of fandom, yes. Yeah, I mean, fandom is, like, a weird thing. I think anytime you get into fandom, like, you know, anywhere, whether it's going to be movie fandom, TV fandom, um, you know, and just, like, you know, book fandom, niche it down from there. Um, but, what, know, but, but I'm saying it is, like, it's enough to create, you know, enough of a domino effect that it can actually hinder the life of a show. Because I it, don't know. Well, it's what closed the show Tootsie. It's what closed the show Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet. Did, did it really, though? I mean, did, did it really get, like, did Tootsie really close because of fandom? Did Great Comet really close because of the fandom? Well... If the fandom or if the the voices were enough for Mandy Patinkin, who'd signed a contract to then say, never mind, I'm not going to do the show because now the outcry is too negative, then that's what leads to it. I mean, if enough people say Tootsie is a transphobic show and trans people say, no, it's not, but enough lay people on social media say, yeah, it's transphobic, yeah, it's bad, and that forces the hand of the producers to close the show to not prolong that, then yeah, oh, I mean, that's a show that saying. had a contract with the Marriott Marquis that could have lasted another six months. I see what you're saying. Based on the contract, yeah. I guess my question too is like because it, well, this is now becoming a part of cancel culture. I mean, that's basically yeah, what you're. Yeah, that's a longer. That's a, that's a, that's actually the next thing I was going to bring up, and I it's such a long conversation that I don't want to, but oh. but please, but no, but do continue what you were going to say. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. Should we save it? Well, no, I mean, no. I don't even know if I want to have the conversation again. I want to know what you were going to say, though. Well, I mean, I guess sort of like if what you're talking about is cancel culture, I mean, I think that, you know, in particular, I mean, what's sort of interesting about Great Comet and Tootsie, or particularly Great Comet, because I don't remember how long ago Tootsie was, um, Great Comet was kind of almost before, it was sort of like at the beginning of cancel culture, it felt like. And so how the producers sort of shut the show down so quickly, I thought was kind of interesting. But I think what ended up happening is that there was, it was a, it was a fiscal responsibility with that show. I mean, they were burning money with, once yeah. no, it was a, it was a money thing. Yeah. It was a money thing, you know, and they banked on um, Oak who was and Hamilton and yeah. right, because it was Hamilton he was in, right? Yeah. 
they they banked on that sort of like you know that Hamilton wave that they would be able to ride with this particular actor and I think what became unfortunate is that it got caught up in cancel culture when it really shouldn't have because they they needed to replace him with an actor that had more firepower at the box office that's all that was and so you know it was sort of misplaced uh misplaced canceled culture i mean now i'm trying to remember back exactly what happened um with okay mandy patinkin patinkin fell out because there was this backlash because they fired um you know they they let a black actor go um and you know optics were probably not great there and how they handled it the how the producers handled it probably could have been better um you know but did they actively maybe you know did they actively seek out a another black actor who might be you know who might have more box office firepower but then at the same time like when the press started harping on that you know i do recall that i did say like oh okay but like what is the media's responsibility why did they not do anything to build up this actor who they all profess to love like where were his big big splashy feature stories you know if the new york times had actually done something on him and given him a nice profile like what would that have done for for the show i'm sure you know i don't know that it would have been josh groban's sales but i think that it would have helped you know and so i think that if we're getting into cancel culture and again you're right this is a much longer conversation um there are more people responsible than just the people who are casting or just the people who are producing like there yes. there there yeah. is there is a spiral of responsibility here that um actually goes much deeper than the actual production or you know tv series or whatever it is that we're talking about cuz now the onus is suddenly going to be on the media like Uh, you know i mean let's face it like how inclusive is the media i don't know i don't know that it very much is you know and and not only talking about you know a place of inclusion you know from race or gender or sexuality or whatever it is i'm also talking about inclusion of not a celebrity right yeah definitely <laughs> i mean like let's just call it that like the not a celebrity inclusion because you know laverne cox for example is Laverne Cox and so she will be covered right like like she's yeah. going to get the starry splashy coverage but then there's going to be another Laverne Cox who is not Laverne Cox in a smaller show and people are going to ignore her you know and so and 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 so there if there if we're talking about inclusion we also have to remember that you do need to build up you know these artists who are not celebrities you know what i mean like like laverne cox is ready made as a celebrity that's easy right yeah. um and we we now need to go ask the media like do the hard work and go find the next best thing cuz it's easy right, just to right. say don't, oh i want to i want to write about don't this. only accept the pitch of the thing you know people want to know about or read about because they already know about that person like do the spotlight do the interview do the profile of the new thing that isn't sexy yet and find a way to make that story sexy because everyone has a story to tell 
Right. But then again, too, it, it also becomes a problem of, you know, as somebody who pitches the media all the time, you know, not only as a publicist, but also as a writer, like it's really hard to land a story on somebody who is not Laverne Cox. Right. Like, like, right. you know, because they are. Let, let me say this for the person, the people in the back. They are not responsible for selling your tickets. OK, <laughs> like. Like, you know, the media is not responsible for putting asses in seats. At the end of the day, a lot of these outlets, most of these outlets are for profit and therefore they need eyeballs. And, you know, it's kind of like a catch 22. The little tiny, you know, small actor that we don't know yet. Right. Like this in this tiny show that we don't know about yet is not going to drive the same clicks and eyeballs as somebody like Laverne Cox. Right. Like, so, you know, so, so then it becomes like, well, who's going to have the balls to break this cycle, right? Like, is it going to be, is the onus on the, you know, the publications like the New York Times who are not going to get any eyeballs on that? Or is the onus now on the producers who cast this person and they're not going to make any money either because nobody knows this person. They have nothing to market like it, you know, and that, so, so now let's implicate the audience, like audience, stop being so friggin' lazy. Go see things that maybe are a little bit uncomfortable. Oh, God, makes me so angry. You know, because because the producers will cast somebody if they think it's going to put asses in seats, right? Oh, if if they yeah. think they're going to be able to sell the tickets. So I mean, it just it's it all kind of like feeds, um, you know, it feeds into everything. Um, and 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 none none of this shit happens in a bubble. No, it's all it's all connected. It, it is all interconnected, and so you know, I think, uh, you know, it's I guess it's easy to cancel things. It's way harder to fix them. That's our the, yeah. That in a nutshell is our whole situation these days. Yeah. You know, so I mean, eventually, just everything is going to be canceled, and then we're not going to be able to watch anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's where we are. We want to we want to erase the past and center the future. Yeah. So there so there we are. No, I mean it's and I didn't even know the term cancel culture till maybe like a year, a year and a half ago. I actually thought it still just meant canceling shows. Um I yeah, it is uh, yeah, as it is one of the most frustrating things I have encountered in my whole adulthood. This this new attitude of entitlement and it permeates every aspect of my life and what I do and what my interests are. So I can only imagine it does the same for a lot of other people too. Well, yeah. And I mean, I guess it just also feels like so unforgiving, like who hasn't had a bad day? Like who, sure. has, you know sure. what I mean? Who hasn't like, you know, bungled a response to something and sort of like blurted out something and it came out not the way that you intended just because, you know, your brain was moving faster than your mouth. But who gets to be, but who gets to be part of a self-selected group that becomes judge and jury and executioner and makes the rules like, please. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tough thing. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I kind of, you know, I mean, and I'm 50, a hundred years from now, I I don't know what the history books are going to say about this time. I think that it's, you know, it's, it's, it's fraught with a lot of, um, it's, it's, oh, well, it's just fraught, period. It's, fraught. it's just fraught, period. I mean, it, politically, culturally, socially, I mean, every, you know, 
every time you turn around, it's like, it's just like everything is fucked up. Like, no wonder we're having a fucking pandemic. Nobody, yeah, nobody can leave the house. I mean, it's sort of like, I'm kind of over here going, you know what? I don't think I ever want to leave my house again. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I don't either. <laughs> I'm kind of okay here. <laughs> we'll just hide out, you know? I've got like, you know, just like, let's build a moat now. Let's just build a moat. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's just everything that's sort of like going on around the world is just like so divisive and, you know, and it's just and and that's not where we need to be. No, no, it's exactly where we shouldn't be. But but there we are. And that energy, I just think, permeates everything. So on top of the energy and the fear of the pandemic is everything else. And it's like, yeah, so no wonder all I want to do is watch Real Housewives and Chopped. Yeah. I get it. I get it now. <laughs> yeah. Like there's something really soothing about, you know, about just chilling out to like real housewives or like, you know, food network or, you know what I mean? Like there's just something so soothing about that. And a, and a lack of judgment. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know with real housewives, we might be judging. We might be judging, but they're not judging themselves. There's no message coming at us from them. They're just living their lives. Their fabulous lives. Actually, if you really wanted to, you could dig in a lot about conflict resolution on those shows. Because um, at least <laughs> they, they, in some ways, do the work of getting to an issue. Not that subtly, is true. but they do it. That is true. That is true. Oh, boy. You know, we were going to talk about Neil Gaiman. So I'll just say in one sentence, um, my fiancé watched Good Omens on Amazon Prime. And I couldn't even figure out what was going on. No, did she Neither one, the whole thing? She, she got it. She just didn't like it. <laughs> she didn't like it. And so how far... I did get it, and I didn't like it. How far did she make it through the series? Did she Was she, she like one and done, or... No, she watched the whole thing. Bless her. Well, I think I made... In the series, I think I made the first ten minutes, and then I was like, no, I can't do this. <laughs> And, um, you know, and it's funny because, again, Neil Gaiman, you would think, has Karen written all over it. And I have two of his books. Um, I think one of the ones that he co-wrote with uh, Terry Pratchett. Terry Pratchett? Mm -hmm. Is that? Um, Thank you. And I think Good Omens might be one of the ones that I, another one that I have. Um, oh, yeah, Terry Pratchett. He, I think, co-wrote this. But anyway. I don't, you know, I don't know. For me, there's no there there with him. I don't get the appeal. And I know that, like, he is beloved. He is, like, you know, heralded. He 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 married Amanda Palmer. Like, you know, it's like, bow to Neil Gaiman. I don't get it. I don't see it. Have you read any of his stuff? No, I've never even tried. Okay. Like, I just find it, I, I just, I just don't find it interesting i know i know enough to know he's not for me and that's yeah not, that's not a judgment that's just personally for me not my thing right i just i've just you know picked up a few of his things and i'm just like no this isn't working for me like after like two pages i'm just like nope nope and so i was like oh good the amazon series maybe i'll like be able to get through like this now and sort of see the appeal so I can go back to the books again and say, okay, like this is going to have a payoff. And I couldn't get, I couldn't get through the first 10 minutes of the series. And you would think it's a great cast. 
It's not like it's, you know, yeah, it's a it, cast. It is like, a terrific group. Yeah. A terrific group of actors. Like, you would think that this has got, like, all sorts of, like, good going for it. And it's just like, no, can't do it. But also, it's a great group of actors like Michael Sheen and, and John Hamm, among others. But they're also, like, all the usual suspects. Like, they're the ones that say yes to everything. And I'm sure, like, the price was probably right. But, uh, but I'm like, yeah, I see them all over the place. Like, I just think they say yes to everything. Like, they don't turn down any offer. <laughs> no, like, Frances McDormand does the narration. And I'm like, well, she's great, but how easy was it for her to just read this and collect a paycheck? Like, she didn't have to watch it like we did. Oh, I don't know. I don't think Michael Sheen does too much. Like, I, I love him, and I feel like I don't see him enough. I think I see him all over the place, but now I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like I don't see him enough. But I don't know. I'm not going to look it up right now. But, um, but yeah, at any rate, I, don't, I think you made the right choice to stop, okay. to just say no. Oh, look at this. He's doing The Sandman, which is uh, Neil Gaiman. I can't tell if this is Michael Sheen. Um, I can't tell if this is a movie or a series. July 15th, 2020, release date. It's a movie. Oh, well, you can go to the AMC and see it alone. No, I'm wondering. It might be going to Amazon because it says production company Audible. Oh, I bet it is. So it must be like something going to Amazon. Maybe I'll try that. Maybe I'll try The Sandman. I'm not, I'm not done yet, okay? I will try again. I will uh, Neil try again. appreciates. Um, and James McAvoy is in this one, too, and I like him, too. So we'll give it a shot. All right. So there we are. Thank you for bearing with us. Um, we, we, we sort of veered into some sticky territory and then veered right out. Yeah, which is, you know where we need to be. So um, that's it. Another pandemic week in the books. Yeah. So happy half year, guys. Yep. Happy half year. Happy, um, happy release date of my book tomorrow. Yay, Karen. Yay. Yay, L. Yay. And um, yeah. And we'll see you guys next week. Yeah. Have a happy fourth if you can. And yes, then we hope to see you back on the block and on the boulevard. See you then. Bye. Bye.